Well, if you have your copy of Scripture, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 4, and we are picking back up in our series in the book of Romans. The title of this sermon series was Romans, the Power of the Gospel, and we're looking this morning at Romans 4, beginning in verse 9, and we're going to read down to verse 12, just a short section, and you'll find that on page 941 if you're using the church Bible, Romans 4, 9 through 12. And before I read this and we hear it preached, let me pray for us and ask that God prepares our hearts to receive his word this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we call upon you to be merciful to us, to manifest your grace to us in blessing both the reading and the preaching of your word. We pray that you would remove all distractions from our minds, that you would help us to focus, that you would give us hearts that are humbled under your word and that are longing to be taught and longing to feed on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for all that you are for us and all you've done for us. We pray that you would be held up in all of your glory this morning. Please teach us your wisdom, expand our understanding, enlarge our hearts in the knowledge of Christ, Father, and give us great joy and peace in believing. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, Paul has already introduced to us the Old Testament proof of justification by faith alone in Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And now he picks back up on Abraham, having pointed out Abraham and David, Paul now picks back up on Abraham and he says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? You could plug Jew in there, Old Testament Jews. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? or also for the uncircumcised. You can plug Gentile in there. That's us. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had become circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This ends the reading of God's holy word to us. Well, I have always had an inclination and have always been inclined to love history in English. I don't know why, but my parents have that tendency too, and for some reason I got that, and I got none of their inclination toward math. I struggled with math in high school. I think I took algebra like three times, algebra one. I couldn't tell you anything about that. All the engineers are mad right now. They're all like, we're not listening to you anymore. Um, But one of the things when I, I felt a call to gospel ministry, and as I began theological study and I began Um, reading as much as I could, was it hit me, I don't have to know a lot of math to be a minister of the gospel. And there was a deep sense of relief and satisfaction that God had wired me to love history and English and theology, and that all I had to do was add and subtract and do a little multiplication. And as I prepared this sermon, it hit me that actually that's not true. There is everywhere in scripture what we could call divine mathematics. Um, In this passage, it may not seem like there's any math that you have to do. You may say, wait a minute, we just read these five or so verses, and I didn't see any equations. I didn't see any numbers. I didn't see any math. It's there. 
It's there in the text. And here's where the math is, and here's why it's so important for all of us who are believers to understand divine mathematics, and that is Abraham believed God 14 years before he was circumcised. And you may say, I don't get that. It's like algebra. I don't get it. It is one of the most important observations theologically that the Apostle Paul ever makes. And it's interesting that it's in a section of the book of Romans that we might be tempted just to pass over because of our unfamiliarity with language or our our disinterest with things like circumcision. And yet embedded in this passage, Paul is going to give us the greatest argument about when Abraham was justified And he's going to prove a whole world of theological implications that affect you and me because Abraham was justified 14 years before he was circumcised and became a Jew. Here's what we're going to see this morning. First, we're going to see the significance of why Abraham was justified when he was justified. And secondly, we're going to see the significance of the covenant sign and seal given to Abraham. Well, notice there in verse 9, Paul is the man who should be setting up all of these objections. Remember, Paul was Saul of Tarsus. He was Jew of Jew. He was Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the great persecutor of the Christian church. He was the one above everybody else that says it matters supremely if you are a Jew. If you want to be pleasing to God, if you want to be accepted by God, if you want to go to heaven, you must be a Jew. That was Paul's mantra. That was Paul's slogan. That was Paul's mindset. That was his worldview when he was Saul of Tarsus. And so much so that he led an attack on the first Christian martyr, Stephen, and it was Saul at whose feet Stephen's clothes were put and laid when he was stoned to death. And Stephen was stoned because Stephen said, it's not about being a Jew. It was never about being a Jew. It's always about faith in Christ. And Stephen said in Acts 7, when he spoke to all of the Jews who ended up stoning him, and Saul of Tarsus was there, Stephen said to them, you are uncircumcised in heart and in ears. You are uncircumcised in heart and in ears. And what Saul of Tarsus learned when he was converted on the Damascus road was that it wasn't physical circumcision that mattered. It was circumcision of the heart. It was regeneration. It was God cutting away the filth of the heart. It was God taking away the sins of his people. It was God purifying his people and separating his people, bringing them from darkness to light, putting them into Jesus, who was himself circumcised for them on the cross. Well, notice that when Paul starts to unpack this argument, he's introduced Abraham and David. He said Abraham was justified by faith alone. David was justified by faith alone. Why is that important to you? Because if you care at all about whether you're going to heaven or not, you should care deeply that we have these Old Testament examples of the founders of the faith, as it were, who were justified by faith alone in Christ alone, who looked forward to his coming. It wasn't anything they did. It wasn't their status. It wasn't their ethnicity. It wasn't their descent. It wasn't that they were in a good church. There was absolutely nothing they could hold on to. And Paul realizes, and Paul brings up time and time again, that our fundamental problem is we want to cram something in there at every opportunity we can get. It's hit me more than ever as we've preached through Romans that one of the um, 
One of the things maybe I never noticed before is that Paul is bringing out argument after argument after argument after argument for justification by faith alone. And at some point you have to say, why couldn't he have just stated it? Why couldn't he have just given us one chapter, really full, really rich, and been done? Because Paul knew that at every chance the natural man will try to slip his works in there. And I would go further. I would say, even for believers... We fall into the trap of trying to get something that we do or something about us into our standing before God. I want to read this quote to you. Sinclair Ferguson says, Most of us spend an amazing amount of wasted energy in our Christian lives trying to get something into the foundation there to try to make us feel more secure. More secure than God's promise? More secure than God's Son? more secure than his bloody sacrifice on the cross. And yet, in the face of all that, I find myself doing it. Most of us spend an amazing amount of wasted energy trying to get something in there, in the foundation. I'm not like them. I do this. I read my Bible like this. I'm not like that. I heard a sermon at Presbytery this week. young man said something that I've known is true. I've I've known it by analogy and experience, but it hit me as an amazing statement. He said, whoever you are, you need Jesus just as much as the crackhead down the street from you. And you know what? I actually ran that statement by a minister in the presbytery and said, you agree with that, right? And the very fact that I had to do that shows that we don't really believe that. We don't. With all of our dignity, with all of our nice homes, with all of our good jobs, with all of our nice clothes, with all of our education, we need all of that stripped away from us. And we need to hear what Paul says. Abraham was ungodly. And God justifies the ungodly by faith. He justified the Jew by faith. And he justifies the Gentile by faith. And that's Paul's point. Paul is pressing that home. Get that. If you don't get anything else, get that. Get that. Experientially get that. Get that in your head. Get that in your heart. That the righteousness that we need is apart from anything that we are or anything that we will ever do. And you can never, ever, ever bring anything into the foundation to make you more secure than you are. If you're in Christ, Abraham was justified by faith. Now, someone may say, well, then... Well, Paul, we hear you say, you point to Genesis 15, 6. You tell us Abraham was justified, he believed, and he was counted righteous. Righteousness was imputed to him, Paul. We see that. Paul pointed back. He said, look, there's Abraham. Now, Paul, being the former Pharisee that he was, realizes someone's going to raise an objection, and they're going to say, well, Paul, that's really interesting, but here's what you don't know, Paul. Abraham was a Jew, And so it's not just about being in Christ. It's about having circumcision and keeping the law because God gave the law to Israel. And the first of those commandments, really entry into the covenant membership was circumcision. And if you were circumcised, you were under the Mosaic law and all of God's commands and ordinances and everything that he gave, everything in your Bible, in the Old Testament, that was for the circumcised. And so you could hear someone saying, well, wait a minute, Paul, that's fascinating that you point to Abraham, but Abraham was a Jew. And so notice what Paul does. Absolutely brilliant. Paul says, is this blessing, the blessing of justification, only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So is it only for Jews? Is it not also for Gentiles? And notice what Paul says, 
we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Now, we could insert when. It's the divine mathematics. When. When was it counted to Abraham? And notice what Paul says in verse 10. Was it before or after he had been circumcised? When we think about historical events, associations, timelines, um, if any of you um, got any historical event mixed up in order and someone knew anything about it, they would, they would cut in and they would say, wait a minute, you've got that backwards. This happened first, then this. You can't reverse the order in history. And Paul's saying you can't reverse the order in redemptive history. If you get the order wrong in redemptive history, you miss the big point. Abraham was justified before he was a Jew. Abraham was counted righteous when he was a Gentile. He was an idol worshiper beyond the river, Joshua tells us, with his father. And God called him out and gave him promises and said, you're going to bring forth the Redeemer. He's going to come from your seed. I'm going to bless you. The nations are going to be blessed in you. You're going to inherit the world. Everything is going to be yours and your descendants. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then 14 years pass. 14 years. And then God comes to Abraham again and he says, I'm going to put this covenant sign on you and I'm going to separate you. And what we don't want to miss is that Abraham's being covenantally separated by God added nothing to his justification. It didn't in one iota affect anything. And that means that the thousands of years of Jewish history where the Jews re rejected the gospel, rejected the gospel, rejected the gospel until God came in Christ and accomplished the gospel under the rejection of him, and the thousands of years of rejection, all of that rejection means they missed the 14-year gap between Abraham being justified by faith alone and Abraham receiving the covenant sign of circumcision that made a Jew a Jew. That means your whole testament, if you looked at it, and you said, where did they go wrong? Where did they go wrong in not understanding these things? Well, number one, they couldn't understand them because only the spiritual man will understand these things. The Holy Spirit has to illuminate your mind and heart. You know, Paul, I, I, I wish I could meet Paul and ask him what it was like to have been this zealous Pharisee religious leader in Israel who knew the Old Testament scriptures so well but who had no idea what it was talking about. And then him as Paul where he could open the scriptures and say, look here, and look here, and look here. Look at this. 14 years passed between Abraham believing and being justified and the Jewish nation being created. And look here. 30 years passed between Abraham being justified by faith alone and his offering up Isaac. How could that ever play into his justification? And, and Paul got the scriptures. His eyes were open. He saw all the marvelous truths. Let me say this this morning. If you don't read the scriptures carefully, A, this is probably boring to you, for which I am grieved. B, you will never understand these things. If you don't study the scriptures carefully, you know, if we learn anything from the Apostle Paul and from Romans, is you have got to read the scriptures carefully, patiently, thoughtfully. No hurried reading. No, let's just get on with it. No little light devotional a meditation upon what the scriptures are teaching, what they're saying. Here's the beautiful thing. 
You have the greatest commentators anybody could ever have on the Old Testament in the Apostles. And the Apostle Paul is giving you an absolutely infallible and inerrant interpretation of the Old Testament to help you read it carefully and to read it in its details and to read it patiently and to pour over it and to learn it. And, and I look at this, I look at this passage and I'm like, if I didn't read Genesis carefully, if I didn't read the Abraham narrative carefully, if I didn't care about that, I'm certainly not going to care about this. And it's one of the most important theological arguments that Paul ever makes. Abraham was justified before he was made a Jew. Now, you may ask me, what are the implications? We're going to get to all the implications of that. Let me say first, first of all, in our, in our Westminster standards, Westminster Confession of Faith and Larger and Shorter Catechism, um, we ask the question in the Shorter Catechism, what is justification? And the Puritans give the answer, justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So, pardons all our sins, credits righteousness only because of what Jesus did and only received by faith alone. And what the, what the Puritans are going to say, and this is so important if you're Protestant, if you care that you're Protestant, if you care, the big point in that is justification is a once-for-all act. It's not a recurring act. There's nothing un- imperfect. You'll never be any more justified than you are right now if you're justified. You'll never be any less justified. You are perfectly righteous legally before God. When God sees you legally, he sees you as if you had never sinned. He does see all of your sin and all of my sin in our Christian life. We have to repent of it. We need to confess it. But legally, if you're in Christ, once for all, the moment you believed, be it as the smallest child or the most aged saint, the moment you believe, you are imputed the righteousness of Jesus. It is a once for all act. Unbelievably important. Everything about this church rests on that. If, if you went to our website, somebody was asking me what we taught on the subject and, and what, the, what the website said. I could sort of strip away everything else and say, if we get this wrong, we are no longer a true church. If we get justification wrong, we, we are no longer a true church. We have destroyed the gospel. That's Paul's big point here. It's his point in Galatians. Huge point. Now, the implication of this is that Abraham being justified at that one point in time before he was circumcised proves to us that it is a once-for-all act of God. It is a one-time act. Paul says, notice, verse 10, how, you could put when in there, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. Paul says there was one point in time when Abraham was justified. It was before circumcision. It didn't happen after. There's no future justification in that sense where Abraham needs some righteousness he doesn't have. He has it at that one point in time. That is enormous. That is absolutely enormous because there's nowhere else in the Bible that says justification is a once-for-all act in time. Nowhere else. I challenge you to look for it. You will not find that justification is a once-for-all perfected act anywhere else in the Bible except here in this argument. It is a very powerful argument. Abraham believed. Fourteen years later, he's, he's circumcised. He was not justified after circumcision. Now, what are the implications? 
Well, Paul's going to unpack that. He's going to tell us the significance. Notice this. Notice he says he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness he had by faith. Notice the purpose, verse 11, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Here's the point. If Abraham had been justified after circumcision, you and I could not be justified without being a Jew and without keeping the law. That's the point. The point is, it was always God's plan to justify and redeem Jews and Gentiles. And in order for that to happen, the father of of all those who believe, Abraham, had to be justified before he was a Jew. So how do I know that God is going to accept me, not a Jew? How do I know that he's going to accept me apart from being Jewish, being under the law, being under the Mosaic economy? How do I know that? Because Abraham was justified before he was a Jew. Notice that basically what Paul is saying is Jews have no special privilege above, above Gentiles after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. No special privileges. There's no more circumcision. There are no special privileges for salvation after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Notice what Paul says. Paul says in verse 12, Abraham, these things are true because Abraham had to be made the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What what Paul is going to say is being a physical Jew if you were not walking by the faith of Abraham, really meant nothing. He says that in chapter 2 of Romans. He says, he is not a Jew who's one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew who's one inwardly. And circumcision is in the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. So Paul in chapter 2 says, if you were an ethnic Jew in the old covenant, a descendant of Abraham, circumcised, if you were in covenant with God, but your heart was not circumcised, you really weren't a child of Abraham. And that it was always about the faith of Abraham. And so the first implication is that Jews have no special privileges above Gentiles after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for salvation. Secondly, um, the implication is that personal law keeping plays no role in Abraham's justification. Now, I understand that you all may not be familiar with Jewish writings, Second Temple Judaistic writings, rabbinical writings. Um, those would be the things that Paul read before he was converted. But what I'll tell you is that in many of them, you'll find statements by rabbis saying that Abraham was proof of one who was justified by law-keeping. That's why this is a big deal. They said Abraham was a law-keeper. He was a faithful, obedient, covenant keeper, and that's why God accepted him. You'll find that in the book of 1 Maccabees. You'll find it in other rabbinical writings. That's why this is a big deal. Abraham was pointed out wrongly as being, as being someone who was justified by law-keeping. Here's the problem with that. Number one, the law wasn't given for 430 years after Abraham. So there was no external law until Moses. And Abraham was justified even before he got circumcision. So what that should say to you is justification is in no way by law-keeping. Because Abraham was justified... 430 years before there was a law, and 14 years even before he got the sign of the covenant. So law-keeping law plays no role in Abraham's justification or in our justification. Very interesting point here. Third, Abraham was not regenerated or justified by the sacrament. 
This, for me, was a very powerful point. We, in Protestantism, will say baptism doesn't regenerate you, it doesn't justify you, it doesn't confer salvation on you, it doesn't work out of itself and give what it symbolizes. Well, how do we know that? There are places in the Bible that say if you've been baptized in Christ, you've been buried with him and risen with him through baptism into death, and it seems to say that baptism somehow gives that, and then we come here and we see there's no way because the old covenant sign was circumcision. The new covenant sign's baptism, the old covenant sign's circumcision. Was Abraham justified by the covenant sign? No. 14 years before he got the sign, he was counted righteous. And then God gave him the sign. And what that shows in a very powerful way is that the sign of the covenant, circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New, does not give what it signifies. It does not give what it seals. It does not give what it represents and shows forth and points to. It is merely a sign and a seal. It does not give justification. It does not give regeneration. And if anybody challenges you to that, you take them to Romans 4, 9 through 12, and you bring out this argument. And and at least in my mind, God will shut the mouths of those that pervert the gospel and say baptism somehow gives something to you in the act of baptism by water. Now, you think I'm kidding. To get that wrong is to be Roman Catholic. To get that wrong is to be a sacramentalist. To get that wrong is to destroy the gospel. Let me say that as emphatically as I can today. If you believe that the sacrament in any way gives anything, that it, that it gives regeneration or justification, you have another gospel. You have an, that's another gospel. That's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is that Abraham looked forward to Jesus Christ, believed in the coming Christ, was counted righteous, and then God gave him the sign. Now, secondly, is there no significance to the sign then? If, if what Paul is saying here is the sign played no role in Abraham's justification, does that mean my baptism is meaningless? You know, I, I kind of like to say, while this is, uh, this is a text that teaches a covenantal approach that Abraham believed, he received the sign, and then he gave it to his children at God's command. We, in, in reform circles, we say that believers and their children get the covenant sign because Abraham had that by way of analogy. Um, and I like to say, you know, Abraham was a believer circumciser. He, was a, he had believer circumcision. He believed, he was circumcised, he gave the sign to his kids. Well, what's the point? If, if, if it doesn't do anything for your salvation, what is the point? Well, Paul is going to actually give us a nice balance here. Notice verse 11. He doesn't say circumcision doesn't mean anything in the Old Covenant. He doesn't say it doesn't matter. He doesn't say it's empty. He doesn't say, well, take it or leave it. God didn't have to do that. Doesn't matter. Didn't mean anything. Notice what Paul says. Paul says Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So the bloody cutting away of the the foreskin of the male reproductive organ showed forth that by a bloody judgment, God was going to provide righteousness. It pointed to the cross. Circumcision pointed to the cross. It showed that generation after generation, as corruption came, generation after generation after generation, somehow the heart of man had to be cleansed, and that could only happen through a bloody judgment. And when that sign was put on an old covenant Israelite, they should have known 
Blood has to be shed for my heart to be clean. Blood has to be shed so that I can have righteousness. It was, it was, a, it was a gospel tattoo. It's the best way I can put it. A lot of people tattoo Greek and Hebrew on their arms now. It's hip and cool. I know. I know that. Maybe the only acceptable tattoos in my opinion. I'm just kidding. Shouldn't have said that. Um, circumcision was a gospel tattoo. You got to get that. Baptism, while not a physical bloody sign, is a tattoo of God's promise to wash his people with the Holy Spirit and to cleanse them with the blood of Jesus. Both signs point to the cross. Both signs pointed to Christ. And here's the problem. The Jews looked to the sign instead of to the God and the gospel of the sign. They looked to the sign. They looked to their circumcision. They said, we're circumcised. We're not like these people. We're baptized. We're not like these people. We go to church. We're not like these people. Anything that we trust in, any covenantal privileges that we have, if you're baptized, you have huge covenantal privileges. God has signified, he has, he has pointed as a sign to the gospel through the waters of baptism. He has signified, he has sealed his promises to his people. He has said, these are true and real. These have my mark on them. I have promised to do this. I will be faithful to do this. That's what the covenant sign says. But if you look at your being baptized, if you look at your being baptized and you see it as anything else is pointing you to Jesus and the cross, then you are trusting in your privileges and you are no different than the Jews to whom Paul is writing. If you look at your privileges and self-righteously think, because I have this, I'm better than other people, you are in the exact same place as those to whom Paul is writing here in Romans 4, 9 through 12. So Paul wants you to understand great privileges. The covenant sign is, is a confirmation. What, what should we think when we see a baptism? When we think back on our own baptisms, we should think, God is the God who provides righteousness through the shed blood of his son. His son, his son fell under the judgments of the baptism waters of the baptism of the wrath of God at the cross. Jesus' death was a bloody baptism. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Jesus saw his death as a bloody baptism judgment in which the sins of his people, your sins and my sins, would be washed away through the waters of God's wrath, just like the filth of the earth was washed away at the flood. In the same way, Jesus said that that pointed to him. And so when you think of your baptism, you should think, how could God have been so kind to me to give me a sign and a seal of his promises of what he has done in Jesus and what he promises to do for my children, what he promises to do for his people. And will I not look in faith to Jesus rather than to my privileges? That's what Paul's saying. Will I not look in faith to the one to whom the sign pointed rather than to the sign itself? Here's the foolishness of trusting in any of our external religious privileges if you're traveling, you're hungry, you need a break, you see a sign for, I never see signs for any restaurants I like, but let's say you see one, you happen to see one, you're like, that's my favorite restaurant, Cracker Barrel's okay. See a sign for Cracker Barrel, and I, I've been on the road all day, and I'm hungry, and I pull over, and I pull up to that sign, and I get out of my car, and I hug that sign. 
And I'm like, I love this sign. This is my favorite restaurant. I love Cracker Barrel. I love that they say, loosen your belt on one of their descriptions. of one. Of, I, only Cracker Barrel, by the way, can say, loosen your belt. Everywhere else, it's like, I'm not eating here. Cracker Barrel, that sounds good. Um, and you get out of your car, and you hug that sign, and you sit there, and you wait, and you wait. And you tell your wife, honey, they're not coming to serve us. I don't know. We came to the sign. We came to the sign. And instead, going to what the sign points us to. And that's the point of the covenant sign. The covenant sign was pointing to Jesus Christ. And if you go to the sign, and if you hold on to the sign in self-righteousness, if you hold on to any of the privileges, you miss the whole point. And let me remind you of this. If you think this is not possible for you, if you think, I don't do that, intellectually I don't do that, consciously I don't think I do that, let me remind you, 2,000 years of Israelite history, every generation did that. 2,000 years. And you know what? You came from the same Adam that they came from. And I came from the same Adam they came from. We have the same heart. There's no such thing as Jewish blood. We all come from Adam. We all have the same evil nature. And, and if we are not casting that aside and clinging to the Savior and hoping in his righteousness alone, we are making an idol out of whatever privileges he's given us, and we will lose the Savior. Let me read to you again Ferguson's quote as we close. Most of us spend an amazing amount of wasted energy in our Christian lives trying to get something into the foundation there to try to make us feel more secure. More secure than God's promise, more secure than God's son, more secure than his bloody sacrifice on the cross, and yet in the face of all that, I find myself doing it. I hope that God will awaken us to the deceptions of our own hearts, our our desire to try to make ourselves more secure by what we do, by what we think we have, and that we would realize the privileges we have in the finished work of Jesus for our justification, that we would realize who we are. You know, if 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 you go through life and you have a he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not mentality, it's because you are trying to fit something in the foundation. And you know what? I'm not going to speak for Ferguson. I do that. I do that. Chances are good you do that because when we stop looking in faith to Jesus alone and resting in him alone and trusting him alone and coming to him, we will automatically be trying to get something in there to make ourselves feel more secure. Who knew that math could be so important? I certainly didn't. Um, I hope that God will take these things and really press them into your minds and hearts. You'll cherish them, that you'll meditate on them, that you'll pour over the scriptures carefully. Study these things. Learn the book of Genesis. We're going to hear more about Abraham in the weeks ahead. Let him who, hear, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the riches of the truth of the scriptures. We thank you for uh, the riches of the defense of justification by faith alone from the time frame of the history of Abraham. We thank you, Father, that he is the father of all those who have faith, that he is our spiritual father, and that like him, we look together in faith to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray that it would be said of us as well as of Abraham 
that we rejoice to see your day and that we saw it and that we are glad. We pray that you would free us from all attempts to try to put anything into the foundation to make us more secure. We pray that you would give us joy and peace in believing and in resting in what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.